When we look at the gospel, and in particular we focus on the journey to full discipleship as we find in one's relationship with the Lord, what you'll notice is that early on in that particular relationship, the Lord's language is very attractive and very inviting. Questions like, what do you want? Whom are you looking for? Come and see, that kind of thing. Later on, of course, when the Lord talks about the cost of discipleship or the prerequisite to becoming an authentic disciple in the Lord, the language changes, right? So it becomes a lot more difficult, a lot more challenging, a lot more unsettling, if you will. And perhaps one of the most striking examples of this particular point is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, where the Lord very famously says, unless you hate father, mother, wife, your children, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, when it comes to difficult or challenging passages in the gospel, a lot of times you can kind of explain the thing away by kind of focusing on translation issues. And so, for example, think about Paul's very famous letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, where he says very famously, wives be submissive to your husbands. Now, right away, you can probably tell there's something of a translation issue going on there, right? So the word which is rendered there as submit uh, obviously has sort of negative uh, submissive undertones, right? But if you look at the original Greek, um, that word which is rendered here as submit is also used to describe the relationship between Jesus and his father, right? So it, clearly it can't mean this idea of, of submission in a servile sort of way, right? So it must mean something else. And indeed, when you look at the original Greek, perhaps a better way to translate this particular passage is to say something like, you know, wives, as persons equal in dignity to your husbands, the invitation is to entrust your lives, to entrust your hearts to your husband's loving care. And of course, later on in that same passage, the husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And so to put it all together, the image of Christian marriage in the mind and imagination of the Holy Catholic Church is that husbands are commanded to die to themselves out of love for their wives, in response to which their wives are again invited to entrust their lives, to entrust their hearts to their husbands' loving care, which sounds a lot more rich and a lot more beautiful than simply wives be submissive to your husbands. Okay, now that said, if we go back to our original passage from the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, the particular difficulty contained in this passage is not simply resolved by an easy translation issue. And the reason why is because the word which is rendered here as hate actually does mean hate, right? So it's the opposite of love. Love, of course, meaning, you know, willing the good of the other, right? So hate, uh, not so much. And so given all that, we need to look elsewhere to find a satisfactory explanation with regards to this particular difficult passage in the Bible. And so one way to look at it is from the perspective of Dr. Brent Petrie, right? So Dr. Petrie says that this is actually a really striking example of how the Lord typically uses really provocative language to stimulate the imagination, to capture one's attention, to make things memorable in terms of articulating points about the spiritual life. And to illustrate his point, he references this really famous passage from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, where the Lord very famously says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, and so on and so forth. And of course, Dr. Petrie's point is that in the context of this particular passage, Jesus is obviously not encouraging the Christian community to maim or otherwise harm themselves. But instead, what he's saying in a certain sense, again, using really dramatic and provocative language, is that you really need to take the reality of sin seriously. And more to the point, you need to take dramatic steps to wage war in the battle against sin. In any case, to go back to the particular gospel in question, the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, when the Lord talks about hating, again, our mother, father, spouse, children, and so on and so forth, he's obviously not commanding us to hate the people we're called to love the most. But instead, again, using a really provocative and dramatic language, he's trying to establish an order of priority when it comes to the spiritual life. 
And so in a certain sense, what he's saying is that our love for God should be so great, so radical, so all-encompassing that in a certain sense, by comparison, our love for other people, even our love for our parents, our spouse, our children, should seem like hate. And just to kind of drive the point home, we find a precedent for this particular interpretation in the Old Testament. And in particular, in the book of Genesis chapter 29, the story of Jacob and his really peculiar relationship with these two sisters, Rachel and Leah. And so as a matter of background, in the context of the story, Jacob is desperately in love with Rachel as opposed to her sister Leah. And he's so in love with Rachel that he agrees to labor for seven long years to win Rachel's hand in marriage as commanded by their father, Laban. But then eventually what happens for a really funny turn of events is that Jacob is eventually tricked into marrying Leah as opposed to Rachel. But then because Jacob is still in love with Rachel as opposed to Leah, he agrees to labor for an additional seven years to eventually win the right to marry Rachel as opposed to Leah. Anyways, that's a really long way to get to this point that I ultimately want to make. And so basically the thing I want to focus on is this particular line that we find at the very end of this really convoluted drama, which basically goes like this. Jacob loved Rachel, and when the Lord saw that he hated Leah, he opened her womb, which obviously means the Lord granted Leah the gift of the capacity to bear children, whereas before she was obviously barren. And so obviously the whole point for our purposes is that when the Bible says that Jacob hated Leah, obviously it doesn't mean hate in the classical sense, and so Jacob certainly didn't mean Leah any sort of harm, but instead that particular word is used to emphasize how much Jacob loved Rachel as opposed to her sister Leah. And again, the same principle applies when it comes to this passage in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, right? And so the Lord's usage of the word hate is not meant to downplay our invitation or command to love the people closest to us, but instead it's meant to emphasize how much more we're supposed to love the Lord our God. And this is further confirmed in the corresponding version of the same passage that we find in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. And so in the context of this particular passage from the Gospel of Matthew, instead of using the word hate, the Lord uses more positive language. So he uses the word love to express the same point, right? So he says, whoever loves, again, for example, father, mother, and so on and so forth, more than me is not worthy of me. So again, the message is basically the same, right? To establish a proper sense of priority when it comes to the spiritual life, but again, using less dramatic or less provocative language. Okay, one final note, and I'll kind of end with this. And again, this is taken from the thoughts of Dr. Brant Petrie. And so basically with regards to this particular passage in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, he says that even though basically you can explain away the use of the word hate by saying that again it's trying to establish a proper sense of priority when it comes to the spiritual life, in a certain sense this statement is no less dramatic or no less provocative. And the reason why is because this passage is actually a subtle allusion to this thing called the Shema, which literally means here which is generally held to be the great summary of Israelite religion. And you find it in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the Shema basically goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And of course, the whole point of the Shema is to reiterate in a certain sense, this sense of priority, right? Loving God above all things. But hold that thought and go back to this, again, passage from the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. And so for the Lord to say to his disciples, Whoever does not hate, again, mother, father, spouse, children, even your own life, more than me, is not worthy of me. What he's doing is that he's equating himself to God. And so, in a certain sense, that's the whole point of this passage. Jesus is revealing to his disciples, and by extension to the whole world, who he ultimately is. He is truly the one living and true God. The one we are called to love with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And may God bless you all.